we were sitting down and we had to talk about expenses, like how much it had cost to get the CDs made and deduct that from how much they had made and different things like that. And I remember one of them being like, oh, this is math. <laughs> and, um, Surprise! And somebody, else, and somebody else was like, yeah, but it's fun math because we get to keep the money at the end. <laughs> From the intersection of Blow Your Mind Avenue and Freak Out Boulevard, this is A Sense of Texas. Here's your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. One of the unique parts about TSBVI is our residential program. These after-school experts provide unique opportunities for our students to learn and grow. We sat down with Dan Butler, who leads our student musical group, The Semi-Modulars. Dan shares his musical ideas from conception to album completion and the positive impact it has on our students, which will be followed up by Graham, a former TSBVI student himself. In fact, you're listening to his favorite track, Crisis Troopers, from their latest album, Switched On Larry. Hello, this is Dan. Hey, Dan, it's Emily. Hi. Hi, I'm here with Nathan. He's listening in, so... Okay. <laughs> just like, Hi. I like to warn people, don't say anything bad about Nathan right away. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> All right, well, if you're ready, why don't yeah. you um, go ahead and introduce yourself and share a bit about your background? Uh, my name is Daniel Butler. I'm a residential instructor at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Um, I work in the residential department with uh, junior high and high school aged boys, uh, teaching day, daily living skills, uh, as well as a number of other things. We kind of serve in a lot of different capacities. So how long have you uh, worked at TSBVI? I started working at TSBVI in 2011. Um, I actually came on actually as a substitute and then moved into uh, the residential department about six months after that. Oh, so you were, were you substitute teaching first? Uh, yeah, a little of everything. Um, I was, sometimes I was subbing in for teachers, sometimes TAs, sometimes overnight. Uh, staff. So it was kind of, it was a good opportunity to sort of get to see um, a lot of, a lot of the different parts of TSBVI in a, in a fairly short amount of time. It was kind of like a crash course and everything that was happening there. Um, however, the sub-coordinator uh, on campus, Mike Bittinger, noticed at some point that I have a tattoo on my forearm of a keyboard. And he was like, you're a musician. I'm going to start putting you in the music classes. And so I ended up over the course of uh, of that six months doing a lot of work with, uh, at the time, uh, the two music teachers that we had, Shannon Darst and Jane Runquist, and, um, and really learned a lot just kind of observing the way that uh, both of those teachers um, did their classes. Um, and I myself am visually impaired, um, and mm. so you know it was it was not to the point that I ever had to learn Braille, but I did receive some services growing up, um, some support services, and so um, you know there was a part of me that was sort of like, hey, this is great, I can you know pay this back to society by getting involved with an organization mm. like this. Well, that probably helps too with just building relationships with the kids, having some of the same things in common that are unique. Oh. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, in fact, you know, I usually don't tell the students right away. It's kind mm-hmm. of like when I reveal it to them, they're like, really? Um, <laughs> but it does help me relate a lot of times to, you know, some of the things that the kids deal with, um, you know. And one of my favorite ones is, uh, you know, growing up, I had a lot of people. I wore like the big, thick uh, Coke bottle glasses and I'd have a lot of kids always come up and be like, how many fingers am I holding up? Which is the worst. I mean, and every student at TSB in their home district has had that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, that's an icebreaker that I bring up a lot with the kids. I'm sure you guys have had that happen. They're like, Oh, you know, roll their eyes. <laughs> and so, um, definitely in terms of value sharing, yeah, those experiences help, help me connect with mm-hmm. the kids. Well, as you know, most of us are well aware, our campus has a lot of uh, musicians and, you know, that might explain why uh, you're such a popular guy and you keep getting nominated to be on this podcast. But I also suspect it's because of how you're using that skill set with our kids. So tell us what you're doing for students that you think might be what's standing out right now. Sure. Um, So... Our, uh, she is about to retire, unfortunately, but our one of our residential directors, Shelly Allen, um, <clears throat> had developed uh, uh, an option for residential staff to create uh, an evening class for our students. And these are, you know, would be more like loosely extracurricular kind of things. Like there's a, one staff member does like a poker club and, and you know, there's rock climbing and different activities. Um, and my primary instrument as a musician is is synthesizer, and um, it's a they're considered you know sort of a secondary instrument. Like not a lot of people you know start out playing synthesizer. It's kind of like you learn a different instrument and then work into it. And I was at home one night just uh, in my home studio messing around with some of this equipment, and it struck me that the piece of gear that I was using was completely tactile, that there were no menus. And I kind of had this thought that uh, it might be a really interesting project to teach some of the students uh, that are low vision or blind to use this particular piece of equipment. And when we first started this class, I actually looked to see if I could find any resources online of anybody that had ever put together a curriculum in synthesis and sound design instruction with uh, blind or visually impaired students, and I could not find anything. Um, And so as far as I know, this is sort of the first class of its kind. Mm. Um, And I've been, uh, I had, I was invited by... uh, the amazing Sarah Kitchen uh, to speak at the Texas Focus Conference this mm-hmm. past February. And I was sort of hesitant to agree to that at first because I'd never, you know, spoken at a conference before. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I didn't really know, you know, what exactly, you know, to talk about. And she said that it was, uh, a, you know, the topic was self-determination. Then I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> you know, that's what they do. Um, but one of my hopes in doing that night asked if I could bring some of the equipment was to try to, uh, you know, maybe get some of the itinerant teachers or, um, you know, TBIs to incorporate something like this in, in, in their, uh, curriculum with their students, because I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot involved. There's some science involved with synthesizers. You have to learn a little bit about electricity and signal flow. And um, so I approached Shelly Allen with the idea 
of applying for uh, some money to buy one of these for the school, to buy a synthesizer and um, just kind of teach the kids about the functionality of, of the instrument, not necessarily with the goal of creating music per se, but just sort of teaching them about how the instrument works because um, they're pretty fascinating. That was when I was introduced to the expanded core curriculum, and um, in reading over that and applying for uh, some money, I realized that, that a lot of the things that I could potentially teach using these instruments would fall within the expanded core curriculum, um, in particular focusing on the career of sound design and using electronic instruments uh, to kind of perform as you would think like a modern-day Foley artist would do. Um, and so I sort of took that approach, and when we first started the class, uh, we called it synthesis and sound design. Um, that was kind of the focus, was teaching the students how the machine worked and then teaching them how they could use that machine to create this huge palette of different sounds. Um, and so for the first year, we just had, uh, there's a company called Little Bits that, uh, that makes these Basically, they're different kits of like magnetic circuits that you can put together, and they made one um, in combination with a company called Korg that was a synth kit. And it is the absolute greatest teaching tool for uh, <laughs> teaching uh, teaching people that have never played synthesizers before um, to learn how a synthesizer works. And so we had one of those, and then we had a Korg MS-20, which was a replica that was originally released in the late 1970s. Um, and so for the first year or two, we just had those things, and we would just kind of get together and make noises with them. At some point, uh, one of the students in the class asked if we could try and write a song. And I was like, well, sure. That's, you know, they're musical instruments, so let's have a go at that. And um, they uh, just kind of let the students take the reins, and they really impressed me with the ideas they were having. And so I went back to Shelley Allen and was like, can we have more money and get more equipment <laughs> because I have an idea. And um, from there, it sort of blossomed into a band. And I decided we kind of shifted a little bit away from the sound design portion and more kind of into the music uh, creation aspects of what the instruments could do and so we got a drum machine and a sampler and, um, and some other equipment one of the things that they emphasize in the residential department is that every moment uh, you should try to make every moment a teaching moment and it was becoming a more popular class i was getting more interest from year to year i was getting some of the same kids coming back year after year and so i decided uh in 2006 17 to take a different approach and um, in our first class of that year I proposed to the kids that we try to make an album that year throughout the school year record and release an album and then play some live gigs to promote their album and it would be their band and um, they were all incredibly enthusiastic about that idea. Mm. And so um, they got to work on, on making an album. And then that spring, we had a big album release party uh, off campus uh, at Cherrywood Coffee House. Our next song is called uh, Marshmallow Ghost. Thank you. 
in charge of promoting that gig. Um, I, you know, I booked it for them, but I put them in charge of it, and I was just blown away. Like they wound up on co-op radio, uh, they were on the morning announcements at the school every day. Like they really took the bull by the horns. Um, they made, they had worked with their art class and made flyers and hung them up, and. Uh, and they had a really, really successful gig, and they sold all of their CDs at the show, which they were in charge of. They were in charge of keeping track of the money, kind of every aspect that you know a band would normally have in, in promoting and playing a gig. They yeah. uh, have that experience, and they made quite a lot of money, and um, they were absolutely thrilled. And so. It was before that year, it was very well established students that that's what they were going to do again next year. <laughs> and um, so we've just kind of, the, the class now kind of focuses on that. It's incredible how much you incorporated into, you know, what started off as just a fun musical class, you know, Um it sounds like now it's just full of all these life skills so that even if they don't have access to a synthesizer in the future or that's not a long-term interest, um, it's all these other skills that are going to carry them forward, which is incredible. Absolutely. Um, one thing, you know, that um, that first year after they had played that show and made all this money you know, we were sitting down and we had to talk about expenses, like how much it had cost to get the CDs made and deduct that from how much they had made and different things like that. And I remember one of them being like, oh, this is math. <laughs> and, um, Surprise! And somebody, else, and somebody else was like, yeah, but it's fun math because we get to keep the money at the end. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, things like that are great. And it's really, you know, it's it's been interesting for me because, again, I didn't come into TSBBI with any experience um, working um, in with with children with disabilities or even children at all, really. And uh and so getting to kind of learn as we go has been a really fun part of it for me, seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, and one thing that I've found is um, I think a lot of people uh, that work, you know, even even just parents uh, working with their kids have a tendency to kind of want to step in and help. And I found that with this particular class, taking a step back and sort of sitting more as a facilitator rather than a teacher or director seemed to uh, foster more creativity within the group. Um, I had someone one time ask if they could observe uh, the kids working, and I was like, sure. And afterwards, they told me that they were really surprised at how much I let them argue amongst each other. And I was like, well, they're a band. I mean, they have to, you know, they have to problem solve through those issues. When they have a, a conflict, I find it for them to sort of work it out amongst themselves. And they do remarkably well at that. And in doing that, you know, they are building very important social skills. Um, you know, they're, they're always having to compromise. And in the end, I find that it actually brings them closer together. Like they really, I've noticed this year after year, by the end of the year, there's a real camaraderie amongst the students that have worked through these projects together throughout the year. 
I think, you know, one of the hardest things with our students, um, I think, is is stepping back because as uh, an employee or an instructor, you know, you feel like it's your job to be in the middle of everything and making sure everything goes smoothly. Um, but maybe even more so for our population, they need us to, to back up and let give them an opportunity to try first. And that's not easy to do. So I certainly commend you for that. Yeah, no, it's not at all. And it's, it, 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 it takes, I, I think it's, it's something that you have to learn. I mean, you know, when I first came in, of course I was, you know, I remember one time when I was a sub having a, a teacher ask me to please step back and, and, and she said, you're helping too much. And that, you know, that did stick with me. I was like, you're right. Like I, you know, I should be letting the kids like try these things. And, um, and we do a lot of trial and error. I mean, there are times that we've worked on a that they've worked on a piece of music and after a few weeks, you know, they're kind of like, oh, this isn't really going where we want it to. And they abandon it and move on, you know, and I told them that's okay. Like every band does that, you know? Um, so, yeah. So what do you think, um, are sort of the the greatest benefits uh, for our students to participate in extracurricular activities like this or maybe something else? Oh, I think the benefits are huge. Um, I mean, a big thing with our student population is, is social stigma. Um, I feel like a lot of them, you know, when they get to TSBVI, um, <clears throat> they may have experienced some bullying and things like that in their home district and may have just uh, become socially isolated either because of their visual impairment or behaviors or any number of things, um, you know, being cordoned off with a special education class and not mingling with the general student population as much and things like that. And I think a lot of our extracurricular activities, um, especially in the evenings during their residential time, really help. Uh, develop those social skills. Like I see it, uh, one of our residential staff does a weekly game night and, um, you know, a lot of the games that he has them play are, are games where they're forced to sort of interact socially and things like that. And I think developing those social skills is a big one. Of course, the physical exercise, some of the classes like rock climbing and goalball and things like that is important. Um, and just occupying their time, giving them as many opportunities to try different things as possible, I think is important because they may find something that they never knew they liked, like synthesizers. And, you know, once they leave school, that gives them, you know, maybe not a career path, but a hobby, you know, something fulfilling um, that they can have with them for the rest of their lives. And I think, I, I think those things, I, I have often argued that, that what the students receive in our residential program for a lot of our students is as important, if sometimes not even more important, than the academic uh, instruction that they receive at the school. Have you been able to hear about or witness any of the kids taking some of the stuff that they do, you know, during their time with a residential home and, and are using that now to fill some of their free time, some of these new interests? I, Yes. Um, I actually just had a member of the group email me yesterday and he had made a recording with his phone, what he called a remix, which was basically like a reworking of one of the semi-modular songs that he did by himself at home and, and awesome. sent to me. You know, I, I have been emailing the group because uh, we um, they were planning to have a CD release show that unfortunately got uh, derailed by the pandemic. But 
I decided as uh, they had finished their album this year, and I decided as a special treat that uh, we would go ahead and get the album pressed, and I would send them copies. And so I've been emailing them, and they're all very excited about that. I think, you know, in terms of just taking daily living skills home, I definitely see that a lot. Um, you know, I'll, I'll either talk to a student or their parents, and their parents will be like, they made pizza this weekend. I didn't know they would ever be able to do that. It's like, yeah, well, we've been working on that. They're really good at it. And, um, you know, a lot of times I'll talk to parents and, you know, they'll be surprised when I tell them, oh, no, they're doing their laundry independently now and they fold it and they put it away on their own, you know, and I mm -hmm. always kind of see these moments with the parents that are like, wow, they can do that. Um, and I encourage the parents to try to engage the kids at home in doing or reinforcing the activities that they're learning at the school. It's probably even more um important during this time. And I, I think, you know, having this unique opportunity where we all get to interact with kids and families at home, um, we're seeing more of what their home life is like and what works for their families and what doesn't and finding different ways to support that. So that's one positive thing happening right now, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, um, I think it's really good. And I, uh, you're right that, you know, every family and every kid is different. I mean, mm -hmm. that's another fun part of the job is that you constantly are kind of having to adapt to, you know, a different student and, and the way they learn best. And um, and I enjoy that. I like that challenge. So tell us about your latest album. Uh, how long did it take your group to create? And uh, also, can we put some of that music on this episode when we put it out? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, the kids will be very thrilled. Um <laughs> They started that album in August. Um, <clears throat> we were pretty fortunate this year that of the seven students that were involved, six were veterans. So there were six that had participated last year, and then we had one student that really, 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 she had begged me last year at the end of the year to be a part of the group. And so mm -hmm. she came on board this year. And... Um, and they, uh, you know, we were fortunate in that outside of that one student who kind of worked with one-on-one -on -one for the first few weeks to sort of get her up to speed on the different pieces of equipment, they hit the ground running. Like, they knew right out the gate that they wanted to make another album and they wanted to play a show. And so we started in August, and they had that album completed by... Uh, I guess they had their recording work done by the end of February, and then um, it took me a little time to get it mixed and stuff. So hmm. from August to late February, they put together a 12-track uh, album, and they really took the bull by the horns this year. They would come in with ideas that they wanted to try. Like uh, one week, one of them was like, we should try and do a song at 230 beats per minute. And we tried it, and it was a little too fast. And so we went down to 210 as a compromise. And they wanted to try something in a time signature that wasn't 4-4. So rather than do, you know, a typical waltz, uh, we tried 5-4, we tried 7-4. So there's a song that's in a really bizarre time signature. Um, just things like that. They would come in with ideas, like we should build our rhythm out of samples. 
and uh, you know, so we would spend an hour sampling them hitting their cane on the floor, jumping up and down, or hitting a wall, or like slapping a chair, and we would put those samples together, and they created a rhythm track around that. So they really, it was a really fun year in that they kind of had already, most of them had already been through a year's uh, worth of classes with the group. And they knew, uh, they had an idea, they had a vision. And I really feel like this album, in my opinion, is one of the the best reflections of Mm. the students' uh, creativity. Because again, I kind of just served as a facilitator. I mean, I would, you know, sometimes I'm like, maybe you could try it this way or whatever. But beyond that, I really like to let them come up with the parts and, and, you know, do what they can do with, uh, with the varying degrees of talent. That's another thing that's awesome about it is some of the kids are, you know, very naturally musicians, some are, are novices, but it doesn't really matter that much with that equipment. We can find something for everyone to do, which is uh, just really fun. You or the students have any ideas for future projects or ideas that you'd like to pursue? Um, <clears throat> I do want to try to get them out into the community to perform more often. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard because it does take them time to sort of get the songs prepared and ready to go. Um, and they were in the process of actually beginning to prepare for a, the gig that they had booked. Um, and they were sounding great. I'm, it, it sort of broke my heart when, mm-hmm. the, you know, when... Uh, we had to cancel that show because I was like, wow, we had a really, really good group this year. Um, But, um, you know, I'm sure that at least some of those kids will be back next year. And I'm kind of going to allow them to do what they did this year and just sort of come in with whatever ideas they have and start working towards that. We've been so fortunate. We have such a well-stocked studio now they have Mm. so many cool different pieces of equipment that they can work with and so it's a lot of fun like having you know they'll get comfortable with one synth and then I'll move them into something else you know I'll move them onto a modular synth that they're not familiar with and uh, um, getting to see them explore those different things and the ideas they come up with the different equipment is uh, is really fun and I really I'm a fan of the semi-modulars I don't know anything about synthesizers at all, and so I'm looking forward to you all being back on campus so I can come hang out in the studio and see what it is that your group does. Because I've Oh, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. <laughs> That'd it's, be um, great. It's really fun. Is there anything else you'd like to add today, Dan? It's your soapbox time, I call it. <laughs> the most enjoyable part of my job is that, you know, hour and a half a week that we get a we get to do this is really, really fun. Um, I love being able to facilitate something that I see has such a positive impact on the kids. Um, you know, one of the students that's in the group he advocated on his own behalf one time for an instrument. He doesn't have hands, and we were having a hard time kind of figuring out what to get him to do in the group. But he was plenty content just sitting and, and listening and giving suggestions. And one week he asked if we had a Chaosolator, um, which is basically a synthesizer that has a pad instead of keys. Mm. 
and we had one on campus and I was like, oh yeah, Mark has one of those. I wonder if he'd let us borrow it. And it had never occurred to me hmm. that, um, that that adaptation, you know, would be something that'd be appropriate for him. And so of course, Mark was more than willing to let us use it. And, um, and so, you know, he, his own self-advocacy uh, really brought him into the fold and now he's an active member of the group. It's just moments like that where I see yeah. that the students are taking the skills that we're trying to teach them and they're actually, you know, they're applying them. And, uh, and that I think for any teacher or parent is probably a very satisfying thing, but um, mm. uh, it makes me, it makes me really happy when I see things like that. And I just encourage people to allow, allow their students to explore and, uh, and, you know, allow them the freedom to advocate, let them know that it's safe to do that. And uh, they'll amaze you every time. And just to Brandon's left, to my right, in the awesome UMTV Raps hoodie. So cool, dude. Uh, it, on the Roland JDXi digital analog crossover synthesizer is Graham. Is this Graham? Ma'am, it is. How are you doing? I'm doing real good. I'm staying... Uh out here in this amazing hot weather, but I'm in the shade. Well, I was calling to talk to you about the semi-modulars a little bit. So um, I was wondering if you wanted to share uh, anything about the group, like what you really liked about it, what was some of your favorite parts? Semi-modulars was uh, created in 2016, 2017, and it is a group of blind uh, semi-modular players. They play on synthesizers. One of them, for example, is the MS-20. It has, it's kind of like a keyboard in a way, but except it has knobs and it has different sounds and stuff. Had you ever played a synthesizer before joining the group? No, ma'am, I haven't. So how did you end up uh, joining? Like, what caught your attention? It was my first year at the TSV, the TSVBI, and then I was I was originally at Dorm 656, Tammy's dorm, and Dan works there. He's the synthesizer instructor, and he came up to me and then he said, hey, I, I was wondering, if I w- would you like to join my uh, synthesizer class? And I asked, what is a synthesizer? And he explained it to me. And then I, I had to think about it because I did not like challenges back then. But then I said yes, and I joined. And did you like it right from the start? Um, not at first because it was a little overwhelming because yet you, you came up with music parts. And you, I didn't like showing off back then. But um, I, I started to adjust to it, and then I started liking it from there. What made you stick with it, even when you weren't sure about it? My all right, Dan encouraged me, and he said um, to overcome those fears or challenges, you gotta you gotta stick with the things that are not in your comfort zone. That's pretty good advice, I think. What do you think? I, I thought it was really good advice. I, I wouldn't. I was not that sure at all at first, but I, I stuck with it. Do you? Did it? Um, kind of inspire you to do other things outside of your comfort zone too? It did. Like I, I started wrestling last year. Oh yeah. How'd you like wrestling? A lot of fun now. I saw you compete a couple times and uh, you were pretty good. You really hung in there. It, yeah. Especially when the guy was trying to flip me over. <laughs> yeah. At least in the semi-modulars, no one's trying to flip you over. That's a good thing. I know, right? (laughs) So do you think that you're going to do any uh, musical stuff this school year? I'm in the marching band. Oh, okay. What instrument? Synthesizer. I didn't know they had synthesizer in the marching band. That's awesome. 
is. You know, what I like about the synthesis here, you don't have to march so much. You can just stand there in the halftime playing, and that's it for you. That's very cool. So I got to ask you, Graham, you know, I, I was at the talent show last year, and you sang Nirvana, which I loved, and I was just wondering if that's a group that you just really like. Oh, man, it's my passion. Is it? So what made you start liking Nirvana? I was I was listening to a video called 10 Terrible Covers of Rock plus heavy metal songs. And then it, I, w- I was wondering what this thing was because they were singing so high. And then I wanted to get into it. So I asked my roommate, who is this singing? He said Nirvana. So I went to look them up in that song. And I just couldn't stop listening from there. That's great. Well, I uh, was a high schooler in the 90s. So I really appreciated that when you brought it to the talent show. Oh, man. I loved it. Well, is there anything else you want to say about the semi-modulars while we got you on the phone? We had a gig, um, when was it, like 2018, 2019 school year. We went to the Cherrywood Coffee Shop, and we performed, it was 10 songs, and it was on a Tuesday night. And um, I'd say the most difficult song for all of us was the one weirdo, because you didn't really have, you really did not have a beat to it. You know, mm-hmm. It makes it more difficult. And then Dan had to count the measures to let us know when to come in and out and stuff. And then we had we had a new cinema module that year. Um, what recently happened was somebody had dropped out from the JDXI, and I jumped in immediately, re- learned all his parts in like a second. And then I was there, and then um, there was a new cinema module. It was her first year, so we, we gave confidence to her. It's, we um, had tough times messing up. She didn't like messing up. We had to show her that even though us experienced synthesizer players do mess up, we, we don't stop. We just keep going and stay on that horse. I love how Dan emphasized making every moment a teaching moment. He is the perfect example of how our employees seek to educate and expand the lives of our students within all aspects of their time at TSBBI. Dan's work with the semi-modulars has drawn so much positive attention and positive results for students, not just in their musical ability, but also increasing their confidence and empowering them to succeed. During remote learning, residential staff like Dan are continuing to provide venues for self-expression, including virtual music mania and karaoke night. I certainly plan to join in on that fun. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.